Welcome to the latest episode of the Vinyl and Celluloid Podcast. So yeah, are you familiar with the six degrees of Kevin Bacon theory? Even if you're not, I'm happy to say that today's guest is the Kevin Bacon equivalent of the music industry. Diogo, sorry, Josh Riot is a Portuguese professional musician with more stories involving famous rock gods than anyone else. So Guns N' Roses had the spaghetti incident? Josh has his own soup incident with none other than Led Zeppelin's Robert Plant. He has met five of the six members that comprise the great rock and roll and hard rock band Whitesnake and is good friends with some of glam metal's finest. Stay tuned because this is one episode you don't want to miss. Josh, thank you so much for agreeing to be the, the guest on my episode today. Uh, I don't know if you prefer Diogo or Josh. Maybe we'll go with Josh as your stage name. Uh, I mean, you have an amazing story, I would say, from law school to the big stage. And uh, I mean, take it from here. Tell us all about your journey. Well, thank you so much for having me, Pedro. And um, yeah, well, as far as the name's concerned, Either way, either name's fine. Josh, Diogo, well, Josh usually is just a nickname that everyone calls me at, but, so I'm very comfortable with it. Diogo is usually what my mom screams if she's angry, so <laughs> maybe Josh would be better for today. <laughs> but uh, yeah, thank you for having me on. I, I loved your podcasts. Uh, I first heard of it when Miguel was interviewed, and then I started digging, and I absolutely loved it, so congratulations here. And um, yes, so uh, I'm excited about this, and... Uh, Basically, you wanted to know a little bit about from law school to music and uh, how that started. Well, yeah, it's a long story. Um, I did study law, um, <laughs> mostly because I wasn't sure about what I wanted to become. So law seemed to be, uh, you know, a broad subject, which in, in reality it is. So uh, I went with that. I was always more, uh, I had more of a... An inclination for you know uh, literature or for politics, so I always liked that sort of subjects. So I was very influ uh, influenced by American politics when I was growing up. JFK strikes me as probably the guy that made me aware of politics and the the need and uh, the power. So uh, yeah, when I identified with that at a very young age, that sort of redefined itself. So I always worked and studied in that area, but I also played music since I was probably the same age as I discovered JFK. I discovered Guns N' Roses. Uh, and they even cross-referenced him in one of the lyrics. So, um, yeah, so it was never a competition because most people would put that as a binary answer, one or another. But no, for me, it was just like things you love to do. So things you love to do, you continue doing them. So I knew that when I picked up a guitar, I would play till I died, whether it be... An early death, hopefully not. Or if I was really old when I was 90, hopefully. But regardless, I knew my, my life would be filled with music just because of the joy and excitement I got from it. Uh, as far as law is concerned, uh, for a lack of a better word, I think it was more of uh, the choices presented when I turned 18 and went to college. And uh, yeah, and, and then just like anything else, you keep on doing it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, that's fantastic. We I also share a passion uh, for American politics, and I do have... Uh, uh, we, we can exchange some book recommendations after sure. recording the podcast on the subject. 
so so basically, you you mentioned Guns N' Roses, right? So would that um, well, first of all, is that your main inspiration, uh, Axel and Slash and Duff and the whole gang? And um, how did the or where did the passion from the from music come from? Like, what was the the first experience? Was it really? Uh, Did it really start with Guns N' Roses? Yeah. Was there something There's before? a good story about that. And actually, it didn't start with Guns N' Roses, far from it. Uh, to be <laughs> exact, because I know this story by heart, because I keep thanking the person that introduced me to hard rock and heavy metal. He's my next door neighbor. So he's, I don't know, 15 years older than I am. Um, and he was like an older brother to me, because basically, I used to spend a lot of time at his mom's place. Because she would look over me. And, you know, as a kid, I didn't have a lot to do. I was like six, seven years old. So one day he looked up to me and said, hey, kid, see those records? You can listen to all of them while I'm gone. So he showed me how to work the stereo because he had like this really big German stereo. I think it was called Iowa or something. And uh, it had like huge speakers. I never saw anything like that, but I was immediately drawn to it. And he had all of these amazing records. Now, he didn't <laughs> like Guns N' Roses, so I never heard Guns N' Roses at his place. But... I did get started with a really great pedigree for a seven-year-old. <laughs> so the things I started listening to when I was seven, the vinyls that he shared with me were Black Sabbath, Led Zeppelin, Kiss Alive, which I absolutely loved just opening that. And they were like, wow, I've never seen this, like Gene Seaman spitting blood. And you saw all the fire and explosions in the cover because they had those paintings. That was beyond. I also, he was really into the Scorpions, so I learned a lot about the Scorpions, UFO, Ingve mm -hmm. J. Malmsteen, Metallica, Merciful Fate, Ooh. Dio. Like, he was a huge Dio fan. Uh, more than Ozzy, he liked Dio the most. But he also had the Ozzy records. So, you know, uh, it just gave me a lot of cool music that usually seven-year-olds aren't interested in or don't have access to, especially at the time. So I became completely obsessed with hard rock and heavy metal since before I listened to anything else. I knew the only artist from the radio that I absolutely loved was Michael Jackson. But then, because he also had this dangerous element and he had rock and roll elements in his songs, you know, he had Steve Stevens collaborating, Eddie Van Halen. But yes. in all fairness, when that guy opened the door for me and he was kind enough to say, and you can take any CD because he also had CDs, you can take any CD you want and you can come here and listen to as many records, that literally changed my life. And actually, a lot of German bands, uh, like Running Wild, uh, Kingdom Come, um, Accept, so uh, Scorpions, as I mentioned, the Scorps were really big on that list. Mm -hmm. And I was introduced to this new wave of British and German and American metal and even Danish, like uh, Merciful Fate. So... It was very powerful. And he was into some more extreme stuff as well, like Merciful Fate. I remember just listening to Melissa and going like, oh, my God, this is insane. So, yeah, that still brings me a smile to my face that that happened. And once that music found me, there, you know, checkmate. There wasn't much I could do. And that was very, I was very young. But I completely remember all of those vinyls. And he also had The Song Remains the Same in video. Uh, which was great because he also had a huge video yeah. collection. Wow. So I remember watching Robert Plan and Jimmy Page at Madison Square Garden and just literally thinking these guys are gods. And, well, I wasn't far from it. I was actually, I got it. it it's true. They were gods. They are. Um, but, yeah, it, it definitely changed and shaped mm -hmm. my life. That's when I got into music. 
A few years later, I was at a a friend's house. He was older than me as well. He studied in um, in the German school here in Lisbon. And, you know, at the time, everyone had mixtapes. So some girl or something made him a mixtape, which, you know, he played guitar, but totally different. He wasn't interested in rock and roll. He didn't like loud music. Which now I understand and I, I can respect that. But at the time, I just thought that was very offensive. <laughs> but even being young, because I was interested in guitars already. I wasn't playing. But, he, you know, he, he was very condescending to that kind of music. He played mm-hmm. classical stuff. Brilliant guitar player. Um, classically trained. But, you know, he didn't really like a lot of that stuff. He liked more of the pop stuff, more indie stuff. And one of the songs in that mixtape was Guns N' Roses' Don't Cry. And I already loved heavy metal and hard rock, but... I just like I was floored when I heard it, and I was like, "What is this? Like that voice, that that solo, still to this day, don't cry is probably one of my favorite melodies. I just think it's a really beautiful song. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, he he wasn't very keen on it, but he told me who they were, which was all I wanted. And then I immediately went to the record store. I brought my mom in, and I got a record. The first one I saw with Guns N' Roses, because you know at the time you couldn't find all their records. You found one record with that name and you take it. So it was Appetite for Destruction, which didn't have Don't Cry, which made me sad because I was kind of obsessed with Don't Cry. But Jesus, (laughs) it uh, yeah, it was a trip. Uh, Just as a short side story, I remember coming home, playing Appetite for Destruction, pressing play, jumping on my bed Mm -hmm. because of the energy that came from it, like the rawness of it. And that's the exact moment where I realized I wanted to play guitar. Because I would never be able to sing like Axel, but maybe I could fake it as a fake slash. That's what I thought, like really young, because it's impossible to touch Axel, but maybe I can try to fake it like Slash, like millions did. So I was jumping up in, in my bed. By the time it reached the third song, Night Train, I fell. I, I busted my lip open, blood <laughs> pouring down my face, but the energy was just something I couldn't explain. So I just kept jumping in happiness. That never happened to me. Uh, and I've listened to a lot of records. So that definitely <laughs> something changed there. And yeah, long story short, uh, short, I just became obsessed with guitars. <laughs> wow. I, I mean, uh, two, th- two, two things from, from here, uh, from, from your reply. Um, definitely the best, the best <laughs> answer I've ever heard about this, que- uh, to, to this question. I think, um, well, funny thing, I was listening to to the, you, the the bands you were naming that you that got you into rock, and uh, I, I'm ashamed to admit that only recently have I started uh, listening to UFO, and that's because I've started to my research, or more than research, starting to get into Michael Schenker, and I know, <laughs> I know, it's uh, it's a crime, and it was uh, it was M- Miguel's. Uh, Multiple referencing to uh, Michael Schenker in, in the, the last episode that uh, made me um, go into Michael Schenker and to actually start to listen to UFO. And I, I've, I'm very surprised. I, I'm yeah. enjoying it a lot. Um, the other thing is, uh, I, I guess everybody has their own great experience about buying their first record. In your case, it was Appetite for Destruction. In mine, I was seven and trying to convince my mom to buy me Offspring's I love that record. Um, which was, yeah, it was a bit of a, it, it took a lot of negotiation <laughs> because uh, of the label, yeah. parental advisory, etc. The cover was a bit, a bit risque, but I knew I wanted, uh, like, I wanted to hear the whole album and I'm, I'm, I'm a child of the nineties. So it's pretty much, uh, back then we didn't have 
the internet wasn't wildly available and you didn't have uh, all the information you wanted at the tip of your fingers. So obviously it's the same thing, right? You 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 buy the album because oh this is it I know it's it's the one. Uh, but then you're like, oh, wait, but I also wanted to hear that music. Where the hell is it, right? So, yeah, you uh, try to find it. There's no uh, database. Like, and then we got, uh, yeah, kids kids these days have it easy. They just I don't know easy. if they have it that easy, uh, though. There's so... just too much information out there. It doesn't make you search or fight for anything. But, yeah, I get what you're saying. I understand that argument. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm with you there. I think it's a debate for uh, for another episode. Um, so you were saying that basically, uh, starting with Appetite for Destruction with uh, with Slash, and realizing that you'll never be able to mimic uh, Axel's voice, uh, which is mm -hmm. uh, fair game. Uh, I wouldn't either. So that was that was the the moment, the big bang moment that uh, took Josh into the guitar playing world. And then you started to you actually had you you had your, your band like you collaborated with with other musicians and you got the project remote. Right? Yeah. Um, so what was it about? What's uh, I, I did some research and uh, it, it's been uh, well. I found some videos, but I wanted to hear it from you. Like how did it start? It was that your first band, your first no. big project. Yeah. Uh, of course. So remote that? is actually a yeah. labor of love. So I'm happy that you you <laughs> dig that one up. Because at the time, I finished, I finished <laughs> law school. And, um, you know, all throughout law school, I was juggling playing music and studying, which don't really go hand in hand. Law school is very demanding. But I always had this notion that I, I love doing both, so I'll do both. Um, so all through law school, I had some really cool experiences, but... Uh, like playing live, being certain bands, and, you know, it really opened my eyes as to what music could be, because mm -hmm. I actually didn't want to do anything more than just playing for myself. At the end of the day, that's still what gets me, and I think that's very important, um, just playing for yourself. So what I did was, um, I finished law school, I remember this perfectly, I went to the administration at the law school and they were like, okay, so you're finished. That's your last exam. And I was like, but it, 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 is it really over? Because it's like the never-ending story. So uh, it was a five-year degree. So yeah, it was over. And I was like, I never, I wasn't prepared mentally for that sense of freedom. So in, initially in my mind, I was like, so what do I want to do that I wasn't able to do because of this? So <laughs> I thought, well, I'll just get a job that doesn't take a lot of my time and I'll invest in music and I'll try to make my own record and write some songs, and hopefully get good musicians to play with me. Um, it was very naive, but you know, you need that that sort of naiveness just to go into it and do it head on. Otherwise, you'll just start second-guessing yourself. So I did just that. I actually found an amazing group of musicians, like the universe usually figures that one out. And there's this drummer who's a, a good friend, an amazing musician, his name's Chris, and... Um, Yeah, he also shared kind of the same belief as I did, and he saw some potential in me more than, you know, I never looked to myself. I looked to other musicians, so I guess it's the same with them. But he saw something there. We started working together and created a remote. It, it, it took a while. Uh, we had one member leaving that at the time I was still playing with, a uh, guitar player, but eventually the band decided they just wanted to play with me. And, you know, it was uh, something that to me it hurt because I really cared about the person, but I understood it wasn't working as a team effort. You know, being in a band is like being in a marriage with five or six different people. It's uh, it's very difficult. 
So, um, so you go with the flow. Tell that to Fleetwood Mac. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Tell that. <laughs> you need to tell that. Yeah, to they Fleetwood would know. Mac. They <laughs> would know. But um, yeah, even if it's just guys, it's going to be like that. So um, so yeah, eventually I became the yeah. only guitar player there and, and I ended up becoming more of the songwriter there, which until that point, I was I always liked being like this, the two guitar player dynamic, just like Guns did. Izzy was the songwriter slash played around. So I always liked that freedom having an, a backbone, especially a, a good songwriter there that I could, you know, do my magic around. But then I was, I had to get out of my comfort zone, which is how you grow and try to juggle with both. It it really worked out in a way that I like it because that record actually showcased a lot of my influences that usually I don't put out in music. So uh, I do listen to a lot of soul music, a lot of blues, a lot of pop music. Like when I was growing up, I only listened to heavy metal, but I wasn't that that smart but i just liked the harder the faster the better but as you grow up you realize the music is better once it's more diverse and more than the note played is the note that they don't play you know that's a huge thing in blues so you kind of get a sense of pocket rhythm that opens your mind to other genres that potentially as a kid you weren't that interested in but now you know older years revive that in a totally different way just because once you learn music you're able to understand different genres. It's just basically languages that you're now understanding. You see more than the surface. And uh, there's a lot of cool things I like about pretty much all genres. But this particular band, I was able to join rock and roll, pop, indie, even dance elements, you know, a, a whole mashup and a lot of soul. That was only possible because of the group of people I was playing with who were extremely talented but also came from different backgrounds. And, you know, one thing that I did learn throughout my short career is that the more you get out of your comfort zone, the better chances you are of becoming a musician. So that is why I've always chosen gigs for how ridiculously off my comfort zone they can be. So your comfort zone will be a lot bigger by the end of the day. You'll know a lot more stuff mm -hmm. and you'll learn from different musicians. So, yeah, and remote was that. It was different because we invested a lot um, we also had terrific management. I got to say, uh, Afonso, who was our manager at the time, Afonso Caridad, he was beyond. He, I learned so much from him. He was just an entrepreneur that really wanted to get into music, and he really got the project. He invested a lot of his time, well, so much of his time, a lot of his money as well. And um, he made those things happen. And um, it was very important for me to have people out from the outside to come and look at you and want to invest in you uh, as if you were an asset. So <laughs> that was a very different concept at the time, but I, I took it in. I learned as much as I could, and I learned a lot, actually. It's probably one of the best learning experiences from going to great studios to record, you know, learning how to write those songs, learning how to play them and perform them live, how to actually prepare a live show, do it all on your own, marketing, promote, you just, it's its an amazing school and baggage that I took for other gigs that came after. But yeah, still a labor of love. I still go back and listen to that record and uh, yeah, I still like that. So this is a good experience. Wow, yeah, I mean, it's its—it's uh, it's really cool to hear uh, a, a success story. I mean, I'm, I'm not saying there weren't uh, any struggles and like you mentioned the whole concept or defining being in the band like being in a marriage with five different people 
Um, but uh, you always, uh, you know, when you are in high school, you know, there's always at least two or three uh, uh, groups trying to start their own band and they never go anywhere. So it's, it's always good to hear a success story, even though this is not high school uh, and you're not talking about that. But it's, it's great to hear that story. Um, and I mean, I think the, the next question is the one that I'm m most excited to ask you, uh, because I know you, you shared the stage with the likes of Robert Plant, with uh, Whitesnake and uh, David Coverdale, and even uh, Danger Danger, <laughs> whom I had the pleasure to see the one time they went to Portugal um, in 2012. And I mean, how was this, how, how, how you made this happen? How was the, the experience, uh, the whole interaction? <laughs> well, that's a great question. Well... I'm going to leave the Danger Danger parts to the last because I think I could talk a little bit more about those guys. Okay. Um, but uh, the other experiences, which was Whitesnake, uh, and again, Whitesnake was on the list of that bands that I discovered when I was seven. So Whitesnake and Deep Purple were also there. And Coverdale was by far one of my favorite singers on planet Earth, still is. So... Um, Yeah, well, it, this goes back a really long time. It was like my third concert, if you could believe it, the Whitesnake concert. So I had only played two concerts up to that point, and I was like 17 or 18 when those concerts appeared. And it was actually, I started a first band with Miguel uh, because we realized we were neighbors and liked the same kind of music, and no one really liked what we liked, so we were like these oddballs. And we kind of became best friends once we knew that. Someone introduced us on the internet, said, well, you shouldn't meet that guy because that guy is just like you. And yeah, had Miguel been a girl, we'd probably be married by now. But we just became really good friends because we definitely share the same interests. It was like beyond. I never saw anyone that exactly liked what I liked. Up until that point, no one liked what I liked. Our kind of music was not popular in school. So I pretty much was angry at everyone. So until I met Miguel, which opened a lot my eyes, because not only did I meet other people that liked the music I like, respected hard rock, blues, heavy metal, uh, he also played with a band. And I never played with a band. I always played in my bedroom. So we started a band, and he introduced me to people that would have become my best friends for the rest of my life. So uh, like the, the, the drummer, George, he's one of our good, good friends since that age and we just started playing metallic and iron maiden so we got this band started called rock bottom obviously a kiss reference there and uh, we just played cover songs of things we were into so some it went from the ramones to metallica to iron maiden um guns and roses obviously um those are the uh, black sabbath those are the ones i remember you know the standards of what our rock culture was So uh, we didn't play jazz standards, we played heavy metal standards. And uh, we played two gigs. The first one was horrible like and great at the same time. I remember I had my guitar out of tune, <laughs> the third string was out of tune the whole concert, but I was so nervous, I was crippled with fear, I couldn't even move, but I just loved the energy. And by the time the concert ended, I was like, oh shit, my guitar was out of tune the whole time. But it doesn't really matter, you know? You learn with those experiences, it just breaks the habit and... <laughs> makes it normal the second concert went a lot better we had a few more people in the audience instead of three or four people we had like 17 people which was great some of them were extremely drunk at 3 p.m but who cares and we were playing a lot better because we practiced practiced the whole <laughs> year to get to the second concert so i was quite still quite proud of that second concert uh we were playing solos really well well miguel was a little bit ahead of me on the solo part but i was 
really getting out of my shell and just feeling comfortable and realizing that I actually like the stage. With two concerts, I was feeling cocky. But yeah, so that was the thing that I was doing, just playing cover songs with my friends, which was the best thing I could ever dream of. And then I got a phone call from someone who saw a video of me playing in um, that second concert. I was playing an I-Train solo, I think. And he got sent that video back in the day. And he got my contact and he called me and was like, hey, do you want to join my band? And I was like, eh, what's your band? So he told me the band name was Kidnap, which was a good start with band. But I actually heard of them and they played pop music, which, again, if you remember when I was growing up, I was very radical about that kind of stuff. I hated it. So I immediately wanted to say no. But all, in the conversation, I kind of liked the dude, but in the conversation, he mentioned, I think maybe he understood I was inclined to say no, but he mentioned that their next gig would be opening for Whitesnake, which basically was like, so where do I sign up? Of course. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so we started playing, and they played something that really shaped me and defined me, because they played more of a pop, punk, rock, with rock as well. You know, they really, uh, that guy who was a songwriter and singer, he really liked pretty much everything I loved. So from Billy Idol to uh, Danger Danger. Well, he knew all of these bands. He actually introduced me to a lot of bands that I came to know afterwards. But a lot of singer-songwriters as well, like Butch Walker, who's one of my favorite all-time songwriters. Um, and, you know, I, you know Butch? Oh, yeah. Oh, oh yeah, I love yeah. Butch. I like yeah, it. it could be an episode just about Butch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, what was that, uh, the one... You're the the girl that spends her time at the Oh, that ball, would be flavor flavor of under the disco ball. He had one. Well, I'm not I'm not sure if you're quoting Marvelous Three uh, with Flavor of the Week, uh, but you know he has like a million songs. The guy started in an '80s rock band uh, and eventually went to Marvelous Three, uh, and then went to a solo and producing. So the list of songs there is endless, and I'm always. Uh, Hot, hot girls hot, in good moods. That's going back to moods. like two thousand four, two thousand five ish. I don't know, S something like that. Yeah, yeah. I yeah, love yeah, that yeah, record. Yeah, yeah. I listen to that record <laughs> extensively. There you go. Um, but I there love Butch. Go. So he introduced me to Butch. I rem actually remember he gave me a record with like two hundred songs of Butch Walker, and I was like, "Who's this guy? Why do I care?" And then, well, this is why I care. I'm obsessed. Uh, but so, yeah, we started playing that band. It was a bit different. I thought there were some limitations there, but I was very limited myself. I just didn't see that. So I guess it was really good for us to learn and grow together. And um, somehow they got the gig to open for Whitesnake. Uh, someone was friends with someone who was friends with the promoter of the gig, and he liked what we were doing because they had a song on the radio. So he matched us and made us open for Whitesnake. So I was like, it was one of the coolest days in my life. So going to that story, which is really cool. I got there. I brought Miguel as my roadie because, you know, we're best friends and he has to see this. So when are we <laughs> going to go inside a huge stage production with all access passes? Never. So I need to bring him in. He's my best friend. He's my roadie. So he's going to go wherever I go. So we got there and you see Doug Aldrich, Red Beach, uh, Marco Mendoza, uh, Tommy Aldrich playing and I was like Jesus like you get to see them play just the sound check so there's no one there but you and them and they're going over the details of how they want their guitar to sound and whatnot and I've just never heard this much perfection these guys are like amazing players like 
even to this day, they're light years beyond what anyone's doing. So uh, it was really cool and cool for another factor because they were really nice people. Uh, I remember when uh, I was like in the beginning of the day, I was trying out a guitar someone had there, an Eddie Van Halen guitar, a Wolfgang. And I was just trying it out unplugged. And Red Beach walks in and everyone there just kind of freezes because they were all Portuguese. And then Red Beach walks in and he he's not the... F- the most friendliest of dudes, you know, he, he's a very shy dude, keeps to himself, which I can understand. You're always stirring. Why would you want to be social every day? It's you need to focus on your day job. But he entered, everyone looked at him cause he had a lot of fans in the room. Um, and he goes by me and I remember this perfectly. He looked at me playing the guitar and goes like, yeah, rock on. <laughs> and I was like, rock on, Rev. And uh, yeah, that was just a nice <laughs> touch. But then afterwards, I saw them sound check and Doug was super cool. Doug is like the nicest dude on earth. He's like, he was a, a, a music professor. And I realized Doug Aldrich is probably the person I love to see more playing a Les Paul, even more than Slash, because that guy, Wow seriously wow so and not only is he that good sounds amazing plays like like he's ahead of everyone like i just can't put into words he's the nicest dude he came backstage with us drank a bit of wine with us signed everything was super nice and then after the gig his gig he stayed talking to me and miguel forever like uh, people were there with a huge queue and he was just entertaining these two kids that were guitar obsessed and and he was just super nice about it, genuinely nice. And um, yeah, that's what I, I hold the most. I didn't get to meet um, David Coverdale for one reason. Uh, David Coverdale s- travels separately from the band, has his own backstage, which you can understand. He's an older dude. He needs peace and quiet and save up his energy because people drain you. Um, and you see that with different singers. It's not because they're divas. It's because if you're them, you won't be able to get through the day with the flock of people that just want to get something for, from you. Nevertheless, the chance did present itself, but I think I was talking with Doug Aldrich at the time, and I just, I didn't want to stop, (laughs) but the the promoter uh, allowed for us to go see David Coverdale, and he would take us to the backstage, because the promoter could get past his security. He was the only guy there, and um, no one else could. Uh, And my drummer, my good friend and drummer at the time, did go. Um, You might know him. He has a rock show called Venice Beach. So uh, he did go, he went backstage and he got a photo with Coverdale and he saw the backstage. I went past it afterwards, but you know, I just realized Coverdale's so cool. He probably gave us the best show on earth. He's such a a kind soul, but you do want him to get his rest and, Mm -hmm. you know, be on his way. We want him to live as long as he can. But yeah, it was a great experience. I loved Whitesnake. Mm-hmm. Wow, and I hear that David Coverdale really likes uh, Sykes. He could be. I know they all like wine. Uh, I don't know if it... it, uh, I I think it was an interview I read sometime, uh, well, a long time ago when he was uh, a gig. uh, He was was touring in Europe, and he was just like, there was an interview, and I guess he kept kept ordering Sykes one more, one more, and, uh, and he was a fan of the Lupin Beans, so there you go. He's a hero, a legend, and um, and so you didn't get to meet him. You got to meet everybody mm-hmm. else uh, with um, with Robert Plant. How was that? Uh, you you actually had the the opportunity. Yeah, to... yeah, yeah, yeah. Robert, I Robert Plant, Sir Robert Plant. I did get to meet, which you know, 
Sir Robert Pine, Sir who was knighted Robert. by the Queen. But, you know, there's a, he's actually, well, as much as I love David Coverdale and the scale of rock thing, he's a little bit above David Coverdale. Just one step, not, but, you know, by close smile. But he did sing for Led Zeppelin. You know, he changed the world. Um, and, uh, yeah, same band. One year after, they invited us to play this festival, uh, Villard Morch. Um, and Robert Plant was headlining that day. Um, Gary mm-hmm. Barlow from Lamb was also playing. I don't remember who else was playing at that bill, but, you know, just international acts, and we were the only Portuguese band. And again, I was a kid. Um, oh, yeah, Porcupine Tree was playing that day. <laughs> Jesus, how could I forget that? I love Porcupine Tree. Ooh. And I also <laughs> got to meet them. They were super cool dudes. Um, but, yeah, so I, I didn't know them at the time, so I kind of ignored them. I spent the whole day with Porcupine Tree. I thought they were text because uh steven wilson kind of looks like a geek he wears glasses his hair is short is uh you know he picks his hair with uh like uh one braid or something and then he he wears this these normal black clothes he looks like he's a techie he's also one of the most accomplished musicians and producers in the world little did i know at the time but you it was i didn't feel so bad that i didn't know porcupine tree at the time because neither did robert plant so that made it okay. Mm-hmm. And but it's fine. So here's the thing. It was a really cool story. I got there, uh we sound checked. Robert Plan wasn't there. I th- I believe his band was there, but no one knew who their band was apart from being great players obviously. Um and then around lunchtime Robert Plan walks in. So we're all backstage just you know the bands and what I thought they let in some techies go there, some roadies because I thought Porcupine Tree were the roadies. Um, they didn't talk to them. I didn't know them. And then Robert Plan walks into the same, you know, tent where we were. And I just go, I just, well, I wasn't the only one. Just to be fair, everyone lost their shit. No one's prepared to see Robert Plant come in. And I'm sorry, I don't even know if I can curse here, but I've been cursing a little bit. <laughs> okay. You can, you can. Uh, it's all done. We'll, we'll, we'll put a... We'll put a nice boys don't play rock and roll. So yeah, here's the here's the thing. So he walked in. I was shaking. He looked amazing with his, you know, curly blonde hair. He obviously looked a lot bigger than he did back in the seventies, but he's a grandpa at that point. And I'm just like the kid went back straight to being seven watching the Led Zeppelin tapes of the song Remains the Same. And I was like, oh my God. I like I'm not worthy kind of moment. So I immediately got up, went up to him like a, a kid because I was really young and I was just like, Sir Robert Plant, it's such an honor to meet you. And he was like, well, I wouldn't take it that far because, <laughs> you know, again, he's a grandfather. So he's used <laughs> to people freaking out. And quite honestly, no one could talk to Robert Plant, but the musicians, not even press was allowed. Just because, you know, leave the guy alone. He doesn't need to go through all of this every day of his life. He's in his yeah. 70s at the time or 60s. I don't know. So so he was like, oh, I wouldn't take it that far. But let me ask you something. How's this soup? And I was like, what? He completely broke it down to a normal conversation. And I was like, well, the soup's great. And he was like, great. So I think I'll have some. And I was like, well, please do. And I let him obviously go eat his soup because the man needed <laughs> a soup. And I needed to calm myself down. So he ate his soup. I ate my soup, different tables, but I had already shaken hands with a god, so I was like beyond. <laughs> I, I haven't even played my concert yet, or I don't, I don't think so at that point. 
but I was like, oh my God, I just met Robert Plant. So skip forward, I played a concert, it was really fun, really cool, really great environment, but I'm not going to get into that now. So after the concert, Porcupine Tree are playing, which I didn't know much about them, but I was intrigued. So I was behind the stage, just me, with the singer from Gary Barlow's band from Lamb, who was a young dude as well from the UK. He was like 20, 21 at the time. We were like about the same age, but he was about to go on tour with Coverdale because uh, Andy Barlow was opening for Robert Plant on that tour. So he was going to do more gigs, but he was just as excited and, and just losing his shit that we were meeting Robert Plant as I was. So we became friends there. And... Um, and then we saw Robert Plant alone, alone, behind the, the, the stage, like way behind, watching Porcupine Tree. Now, this is one of the most surreal things. We went there, me and him. We started talking to Robert, and he was just the nicest person on earth. He was talking to us like he was talking to his grandkids. And he was explaining how much he loved Portugal, that he comes here a lot. He says, well, uh, you know, he has his own plane. So he flies up north or to the south to the Algarve in his little plane, stays off the radar, and he loves it here because no one knows him. He loves to come here with his family. You know, he's very connected to nature, so he <laughs> loves Jirish. He actually said, well, my plane is actually not far away from a house I have there. I think he has a house there. Right? That's what I remember. But he came here like every what? summer, which was... Well, and then I saw people reporting on this in the Algarve because he would go to these cafes that were playing rock and roll, you know, those cover bands, and then Robert Plan walks in. He used to do that. Uh, he really likes Portugal. And he told me how he lived in a castle, how, <laughs> how cool that was, and how he's really connected to his younger kid who was about my age at the time. And his kid was a DJ, so his, their favorite hobby was to go out and buy vinyl records. So uh, they bought a lot of vinyl records. They're always on the phone telling them which records they have, which was a really cool thing. And, you know, he, was, he signed me an autograph, which I just actually found like two or three weeks ago in my, in my room because he signed one of my band's uh, stickers at the time. It was the only thing I had. So he signed it there. And it's, it checks out. It's Robert Plant's signature. And, uh, yeah, and I found it. I was super happy about that. And, yeah, he talked a, l a little bit about that. He... He talked about just how he likes nature, how he likes being in Portugal, how he likes the food here, how he likes the people, he feels connected. And then we kind of, like the conversation, both of the three of us, started paying more attention to what was going on on stage at that point, because seriously, it was a magical moment altogether. Not only was I speaking with my idol, but Porcupine Tree were playing, and in comes a song, which I'll never forget, which is Arriving Somewhere But Not Here, by Porcupine Tree, which to this day, it's one of my favorite songs ever. And I remember, I already had my autograph at the time, and I, I, I didn't, you, the last thing you want to do is just uh, over, uh, overstay your welcome. So I just told him, uh, Sir Robert Plant, I'm sorry, but I actually have to go see this from the stage front row. And it was like, oh, by all means, please do uh, go. And um, I went to see Porcupine Tree. I remember going to the front of the stage. They were playing Arriving Somewhere Not Here. I already had a little bit to drink, possibly something to smoke too at that time. But it was a magical moment. I remember getting lost in that song. And it's like a 10-minute song. But it's just beautiful. And that's when I realized, Jesus, I love Porcupine Tree. And that roadie is the singer? Because that's the time when I saw that he was the guy on stage. And I was like, I spent the whole day with this amazing musician. And I didn't even ask him a question. And he was the most approachable of them all. <laughs> Because I thought he was, wasn't even a musician. Yeah. And his guitar playing totally <laughs> blew my mind. 
And it was probably a perfect day. Uh, I got to say, it was a perfect day and night. All dreams came true. And yeah, that was it. That was really cool. And then I said goodbye to Robert Plant when he left. Uh, he went to his truck or to, you know, his van that would fly him off to his helicopter. And he said by that, like two hours later, three hours later, he'd be sleeping in his, in his bedroom in London. And I was like, wow, it must be cool to be a millionaire. Nice. <laughs> Come on. Not every day you're going to meet someone who owns the castle, flies his own plane, no, no. and is genuinely yeah. down to earth and changed the world. So, yeah, that was a very good day. And, and, eats and, and great eats soup. soup. And eats yeah, soup. he eats great now soup. Now we know something. <laughs> <laughs> there, there we go. There we go. And so you're saving, I assume, the one where you have the the deepest connection for last, which is your connection with the, a band that's really, I, I think, not not only in Portugal but even throughout the Western Hemisphere, they're not really well yeah. known. Yeah. Danger, danger. They're not. Uh, Right, they're not mentioned in the same breath as even Motley Crue. Or, no, they they never I broke know, up. Like, I, I wouldn't know. They how, didn't broke out like them. Motley do. Motley did because Motley started way earlier, and because of that, they broke to a lot of markets. Yeah, Danger Danger were amazing. Like I can't even begin to describe how cool they are. When I first heard of Danger Danger, like I remember seeing Beat the Bullet live, like in repeat, and yeah. Andy Timmons to this day. I'm going to say this a lot. Every time I speak about someone I love, like Doug Aldridge or Slash or whatever, but more of these guys, like Andy Timmons. Wow. There's like no words. I can't even go. I, I won't say anything. Andy Timmons is perfection as a guitar player. Tone, good taste, choice of notes. He single-handedly made me like cry or have more emotions listening to an instrumental song than anyone else. <laughs> Like he has this song "Cry for uh, Cry for Me" or "Cry for You," sorry, and it's um, like you can literally understand everything he's saying with the guitar, and it's just so emotional. And he doesn't overdo it with a lot of players; they do, and he's just like, "Wow!" So "Danger, Danger" for me started with me being completely obsessed with Andy. Like that's the most amazing guitar player I've ever seen. How aren't more people talking about it? Obviously, he's super famous. Super, he's bigger than "Danger, Danger" at this point. But you know. But for people that yes. like guitar playing, you know, Danger Danger, though, had amazing songs. And not because of Andy, actually. Mostly because yeah. of Bruno, their bass player, Bruno Ravel. And um, I'm going to say a lot because of Steve West, their drummer. Uh, Steve and Bruno, I think they're the backbone of that band. Uh, Steve is a really cool dude from New York. And then also the amazing voice of Tad Poli. Tad Poli is just, oh my God, that guy can Ted sing Poli. the phone book and it would sound amazing. So, yeah, I, I, I became <laughs> really big fans just watching their videos on YouTube a little bit later, you know, probably after that whole Led Zeppelin experience. I didn't know them when I was younger because they were not on the radar. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, so once I got to yeah. know them, I don't even remember how this started up. I'd have to think about this, but I don't, I don't remember how it started up. But I know that we shared our path. Uh, and I think the first time Danger Danger played in Portugal, I had friends who were in the organization I'm just going to tell it how I remember. It's probably wrong, but then someone can correct me. But I remember that I ended up hanging out a lot with um, with Steve West, uh, their drummer. And we became really good friends. I remember he came to my house at the time. We had barbecues. I was a lot younger. There were a lot of girls there. He was, he was really into the whole lifestyle at, that I was having at the time, you know. 
I would say it was kind of like a rock star <laughs> life at the time because you know there were I, I I lived in a building where there were a lot of Erasmus girls. I played music. I was also DJing, so I was very social at the time. And uh, yeah, and I remember inviting him over to one of those barbecues, and like twenty girls came over. They were all in their twenties from all around Europe. And he was like, oh, my God, this is like the coolest thing ever. <laughs> he was like, this is like those guys that live in New York, like in Brooklyn. And he was telling me all about his hipster friends. I don't think I was a hipster, but still, that had all of these parties. And he would go, because, like, Steve is the coolest. Fun fact about Steve, his best friend is Butch Walker's manager. So he knows all about Butch. And the coolest thing about wow. Steve is, Steve is, like, friends with Axl Rose for the last... 30-something years, but when I say friends, he's like, his couch was the couch where Axel slept in when he went to New York for the first couple of times. So you have no idea the amount of stories he has about Axel. And they've reconnected afterwards in 2006, so when Axel beat the shit out of uh, Tommy Hilfiger, you know, he was there. He was the guy that actually joined them in yeah. the table, Steve West, because Steve knows a lot of people in New York, so that's his <laughs> town, and that's Axel's contact in yeah. New York. So Axel spent a lot of time in New York, and he was telling me all about Axel, about Betta, his, uh, his assistant, about all of these stories that no one would know, and how cool Axel is, and how, um, yeah, just Axel's a really cool dude, and how much he did to help Danger Danger. And um, he did, because he's really good friends with Steve mm -hmm. uh, to this day. So, yeah, it was really cool to know all of that, but most importantly that I was able to sit him down in my living room and be like, dude, this is where I obsessed about your band. Look at that. Beat the Bullets, the best song ever. So we became friends. I remember he even came to my studio and we jammed a little bit, which was beyond. Um, and we became really good friends. Still to this day, we're in touch. And uh, yeah, and then, I don't remember how, but I became friends with Ted. And Ted played solo in Europe the year after or something. Yeah? Yes, yes. That's it, right? So he played in Madrid. I wasn't able yeah. to go to his Madrid yeah. gig. Uh, he had a Spanish band at the time. Really cool players, as far as I can remember. And he also played a gig in Lisbon. And we opened for that gig in Lisbon, which was really cool because I got to open for Ted Poli. But wasn't that the one because maybe I'm, I'm i'm getting them wrong i think ted Poli played no once he played more in lisbon and that was in he played more 12 this is oh, play more okay because i was i was thinking about the one where you opened yeah that Firehouse one we were friends already so here's the thing he, we play this small gig opening okay. for him in bbc you know bbc there's this small club at well not small actually but yeah. it was a big club at the time and he played the concert there and we were the opening band my band at the time 27 saints so it was cool, and we became friends because, you know, I was friends with Steve. He knew who I was. I think we may have said hi once. But he was impressed with watching us play, so he wanted us to be his band when he came to, to Portugal and actually Europe. So he got in touch yeah. with me. He, he sent me an email. He put me in touch with his musical director. So at the time, we were preparing for a tour. He wanted to do something around Europe, which was really cool. I was like, wow, this is so cool. So they sent me a bunch of songs to learn and stuff. And eventually that didn't pan out, but we still stayed in touch. That tour just didn't pan out. But we stayed in touch. We became friends. And then I was opening for Firehouse, and I was still in touch with Ted. So someone threw the idea to Ted, like, wouldn't it be cool if you came over, you know, and just sang a couple of songs with us? And he was like, sure. I love the guys in Firehouse. They're my friends. 
definitely go back to Portugal and play with you guys. <laughs> so that's how I remember it happened. So uh, we were preparing our gig, and then he played Beat the Bullet and something else, and that was opening for Firehouse, yeah. which you know just made my my connection with Ted a lot stronger. We became a, we became good friends, yeah. and then. After that, uh, there was more. Yeah, I remember there was more. So then, a couple of years later, or I don't know how many years later, Ted was invited to play a show here uh, at uh, the casino at the Rockfest Festival in Kishkaish. So uh, yeah. initially, he just said, yeah, I'll do it if Josh takes care of the band. So I was kind of the musical director there. He just said, I don't care. You just pick the musicians. I trust you. Do whatever you want to do. This is the set list. And he basically just said, you figure it out because I'll be there. I'll sing one rehearsal because it's you guys and because you're taking care of it. And he actually sang two, uh, two rehearsals. But basically, I had to create this band from scratch, um, get the songs ready, define a real professional way of doing it so that once he came in, he would be comfortable. So it, it, I actually like those kind of challenges, and it, it was good. I ended up bringing Chris, that drummer from Remote, because I think he's one of the most accomplished drummers I can think of. He's just, you don't have to worry about that dude. He's such a pro, and he gets it. He has a really great drum sound. He's a really just, man, there's not enough compliments. I would stay here an hour. So the guy's cool. He brought in another dude, which I absolutely loved that I didn't know. Uh, but I knew about him, but he's just a Brazilian dude that just came to Portugal, long hair, Really great keyboard player, really like astonishing, like Ingve J. Malmsteen on keyboards. That guy actually went up to play with uh, Julian Roth from mm -hmm. the Scorpions, so I, I absolutely love him. And we became friends then. Oh, wow. Yeah, we started working together then and uh, just really liked the dude. And then I had Bernardo, who's like one of my best friends and a great shredder on guitar. He's like uh, uh, Petrucci all in one, he's really into the whole dream theater opeth kind of school but we're like best <laughs> friends and we always play together in many bands so he, he was a sure fit and i had lorenzo who's like one of my all-time best friends plays bass with me forever since 2006 or something so it was a really cool band we got all this amazing gear we got it all prepared um and yeah when uh, he came over uh, the band was tight. The music's the the music was all sounding correctly, and he actually said it was one of the best bands he's played in, outside of Danger Danger and all of that. Because usually when he puts himself in this position, you know, sometimes it just doesn't sound that great. But this made it all sound great, and I insisted on having two guitars mm -hmm. because I, since the beginning, always loved having two guitar sounds, which is something he also loves. But sometimes it's not possible because of budget or whatever. So it just created a really massive wall of sound. And um, yeah. yeah, it was fun. It was a great experience. So uh, still love Ted. Great dude. Played a concert like a pro. Sang his heart off. Uh, we went out to eat a bunch of times. We hung out a bunch of times. I just, yeah, he's a good friend. That's all I can say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh i i mean i for one i own their 1991 album uh, screw it i think it's uh yeah uh, i it's, love that it's one. my favorite <laughs> i i think I, I i really enjoyed that album i mean for me and, and you mentioned the the venice mm -hmm. beach and all the um all these gigs and i think what 105.4 uh, what the, this radio station is doing is amazing because uh although i've been away from Portugal for most of the decade, I've been able to uh, 
actually see some of the bands and some of the the performers that they were able to bring and not only firehouse which again they're not not really known in portugal and even ted pulley from danger danger and even brian spence and what they do is just amazing because if you attend one of those gigs you'll see it's not a massive audience but it's still like the people who are there they are enjoying it and they're in the know right I don't know from uh, your perspective on stage if you get the same feeling. Like uh, me as an audience member, I feel like, wow, you belong. <laughs> but um, whereas, uh, I don't know, if you, when you were on stage, uh, did you get the same, uh, yeah, the, for the same vibe? Yeah, for sure. Especially those 105.4 uh, gigs. I think uh, the audience definitely gets mm -hmm. the 80s vibe, definitely gets... They lived it, man. It's their soundtrack for their childhood, some of them. Other ones just grew up listening to it like I did. So it's a huge span of people from all ages. But when you get there, especially in the casino, that's a really magical room. It's like one of the best stages, actually. I even think that stage is better than um, the one in Pavilion Atlantico, Mau Arena now, whatever. But I, th I still think it's one of the best stages. And I've been fortunate to play there a bunch of times. So uh, I really enjoy it. But more importantly, the vibe you get from the audience is crazy. Um, yeah, so I really enjoy that. I really thought that the people really liked it. There's a, a lot of cool moments. I remember I have this one great photo where I'm on stage with Ted once. And uh, like the audience was... Because I always, like as a guitar player, I never liked the guys that just stayed in the back. Like, I'm okay with them if you want to do that. But I was never going to be the guy that stays in the back playing guitar. When I'm, have, when I'm playing guitar, my job is to interact with the audience, have fun, and make sure that even the last guy on, on that audience is yeah. having fun. So I really consider myself, first and foremost, an entertainer. Um, I didn't get into this rock and roll thing just to be there playing really well in the background like an additional musician. Screw that. I want to make sure that everyone is getting exactly what I got from when mm -hmm. I went to see the helicopters live, when I went to see the Backyard Babies live, and I saw Dragon just fall on his knees and continue playing a solo, when I went to see Turbo Negro and the guitar player just jumps into the audience and rips a solo in the middle of the audience. Ooh. Like, those people that really influenced me to on how to actually give out a good damn show, that's what I wanted to bring to the table. I wasn't interested in being just another one. So mm -hmm. it's cool that I got to I get to do that. And there's this photo that, well, I'm just right there, front row, after the barriers, playing on top of people. And like this girl just reaches out her hand, and I just reach out my hand. And there's like this amazing photo because I'm playing with the left hand, and I'm giving her a high five with the other hand. And there's like a lot of people, and they're all like in awe. I like to think so, but it was really cool, and that's the kind of stuff I live for. So yeah, I really get off with feeding off the energy, but also giving them something they're not used to seeing. I think yeah. those two are great. Great stuff. I mean, um, I don't know, you mentioned you also collect uh, vinyl. Um, I mean, that could be a whole different episode here. <laughs> So I think now I'll just keep asking you some of the questions related with, with performance mm -hmm. and uh, and even the the live gigs and, and, and whatnot because um, yeah we 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 could geek out on vinyl for like for two sure. hours and uh, nobody would listen to another episode then uh, but um, but basically like like those are amazing stories and I mean you're in the know you're somebody who who knows their uh, their references who who's uh, well-versed in so many bands and uh, who, who actually knows how to interact and gets the whole 
the gist of like what you're you're there to entertain at the end of the day you're there to perform and you're there to do your best mm -hmm. but at the end of the day to entertain and i mean that's something that um i don't know if you agree with me because and this is almost getting in the gigs that let you down i think someone who's a great performer but doesn't have the whole interaction with the audience is lenny kravitz mm -hmm. And maybe this was... I saw him as part of a lineup at Rock in Rio 2008, right? So maybe that was it. Um, but And he wasn't the headliner. Oh, maybe she was Miles great. He was the headliner. So, I mean, I don't know. Yeah, I... I, I well, I don't... Maybe... Uh, I, I don't really have an have, opinion on that because, yeah, yeah. unfortunately, as much as I love Lenny, and I, I just got to say, Jesus... <laughs> The music that guy has given us is just beyond. I love the guy to death. Um, I but <laughs> I never saw him live, actually. Uh, I wanted to, I suppose. But mm. I love a lot of people in his band, not just him. His guitar player is amazing. He had this amazing drummer for a really long time. She was great. Um, but I actually never saw him live. I did see a lot of his gigs. And I always, uh, I always loved his showmanship. I always loved... His dress attire. I always loved his background. I always loved a lot of what he brought. And I love those yeah. songs just like you do, like everyone does, because he's written some songs that will live for the next generations for sure. But uh, I really can't comment on that because uh, yeah. could be that. But just to be clear, I don't expect everyone to give me that rock and roll feeling like, like they're high on cocaine and they're just on the verge of just doing something completely <laughs> insane on stage. Some musicians, and a lot of them, can actually just bring you in for the power of their showmanship on stage and how their music connects to you. Uh, and a lot of, uh, and I'm also drawn to a lot of that. It's very specific, you know. Each musician has their own, their own, um, their own qualities, and you gotta, you, you don't expect the same thing from everyone. So I don't know about Lenny in particular, mm -hmm. but my final say is that he's a total rock god, legend. Yeah. He's cool. <laughs> oh, I, I I I I completely agree. I mean, uh, uh, there, there's a reason why I bought the the, the ticket, uh, and I wanted to, went to see him because I, I had the uh, shared the same feeling about his his music. But it was just uh, you know you see the, the the videos and you 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 see like you said the, the whole attire and the uh, the the show that he puts on, and then you you kind of feel like okay maybe it wasn't his day or something and that may yeah. very well happen but uh well i'm sure people had the same reaction when guns and roses played for the first time in portugal uh in 92 you you know the stories and you you yeah, read I saw everything <laughs> that uh probably people were this people were this well i'm sure axel well. was disappointed so, with people I mean, as that, well so funny. you know it goes both ways <laughs> With people, yeah, yeah, it's 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 it it, it it goes both ways exactly, and and so I mean with uh, with this in mind, was there any gig you attended that actually disappointed you or wasn't up to? Then I I, never, uh, I I would say no because I I'm not that attached <laughs> to it. If I don't like something, I'll end up forgetting about it. Okay. but it doesn't annoy me. And okay. I don't really remember any concert that I thought mm -hmm. that was horrible. I remember some things that were disappointing, but it's not because of the band. Like I remember just a couple of years ago, I was in Madrid to see the Download Festival. And uh, I was really expecting a perfect circle because okay. I also love Maynard. And unfortunately, they had some really big sound issues. So they had to stop on the third song. And then they stopped for a really long time until those sound issues were resolved. And when they came back, they could only play for 10 minutes because they only have that slot. 
So as a music fan, you'd be pissed off at the band. But if you've been in a concert organization or if you've yeah. played there, you know, it's not their fault, you know. So it sucks. It sometimes happens. But yeah, for the yeah, most yeah. of it, I can only think of the great memories that I've gotten from great concerts. Uh, I've been in some concerts that were, you know, dangerous or uh, because, like, I've seen Axel <laughs> when he was the most dangerous, when people were ripping off, you know, chairs in Madrid in 2006 and burning off stuff because he was late two hours. And then he comes in just like this beast of a person. He just storms on stage and takes control of that audience and has him in the palm of their hand. And all that energy gets turned into the most amazing energy you've ever seen. All these people getting mad certainly turns into this biggest euphoria that you don't mm -hmm. see. So I've seen the not safe side of rock and roll and how cool that is. Uh, recently with uh, my amazing girlfriend, um, we were seeing some really great concerts in Germany. Uh, she she works in Hamburg, so um, we juggle back and forth from Hamburg to Lisbon and wherever else we can go. So uh, I went to see this amazing concert with her. She's also a, a metalhead. She loves heavy metal. So one of her favorite bands and my favorite bands are called Parkway Drive. They're from Australia. And they've ruled the world for the last 10 to 15 years. And they've basically started playing for like 10 people. And without going on radio or anything, they've built this huge crowd. They are now like headliners everywhere. And uh, we went to see them with Killswitch Engage, another band that I've loved since uh, I was a kid. And um, that concert was great. And I thought there was a really big dangerous element because... On this last tour, Parkway really used a lot of flames. And I always go back to Great White and how that ended horribly. We were watching their first concert in an arena in Hamburg. Uh, my girlfriend and went up to see three or four more concerts that tour. That's how much of a fangirl she is. I love it. And, um, like, seriously, I've never seen these many flames. Probably only saw it with Avenged Sevenfold. But this was an indoor gig with flames everywhere. The whole... The whole stage was on flames, and I could not stop thinking about Great White and how everyone died, including half the band. So that was scary, and but it was awesome. I think every time there's that dangerous factor, you could all die or people can get hurt, but if you come out alive, it can also be the memories you're going to think of 20 years from now. So yeah, that was a great gig. Still, great gig, see? <laughs> <laughs> yeah 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 no i um i mean I, i i get what you're saying and i mean i had the pleasure of attending two two gigs in, in germany and and um and from all like i haven't been to well many well to different countries to to go to gigs but i would say that the the, the audience there is simply amazing so the the first one was aerosmith in 2014 in berlin wow. uh and i managed to uh befriend some bikers who were exactly. lingering around before awesome. uh, drinking beer uh And uh, they, they were just like, uh, oh, yeah, yeah, but people go like your age, they're like, I don't want to miss a thing. And, and I was like, okay, fine. So we start talking about their back catalog, the 70s stuff. And I, You're <laughs> cool. Okay, give him a beer. And the second one was, and in both cases, I was by myself uh, because like so sometimes it's difficult to find a... Uh, other people that uh, share your interests. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I went to see Motley Crue in uh, Dusseldorf in tw the year after. And again, I, I don't know. I mean, I felt like I was teleported to um, to the 80s because the amount of people like uh, gig attendees with, uh, with spandex and the whole like hairspray and everything was just like, yeah. wow. So this was really a thing. Uh, so it was it was really a great vibe. 
And I think, uh, I don't know, Germany would rank uh, number one as the place to go for uh, gigs uh, if I have the chance and I have the opportunity. I mean, it's not, um, I don't think it's uh, not arbitrary that uh, Van Halen with Gary Sharon, the only gigs they, uh, they didn't cancel outside of the U.S. were in Germany in 98. So, I mean... Uh, Rock am Ring, Rock in Park. I mean, they they pioneered the whole concept yeah. of uh, getting the whole uh, well hard rock, uh, proper hard rock uh, festivals. And I know M Miguel would include the Sweden Rock Festival, but uh, these predate. Uh, uh, yeah, I definitely <laughs> agree with you. I would say Germany is the biggest rock and roll market in Europe uh, nowadays. Any band that wants to make it, they need to tour Germany because it's the only great place to tour. And I've spoken with many bands about this. I remember speaking about this with yeah. Crazy Licks. They're a cool band from Northern Europe as well. I think they're from Sweden or something. Uh, maybe I'm wrong about that. But yeah, they're really cool dudes. And they were also saying, well, nowadays, it's just like, you need Germany. There's no way you can make it if you don't play all of these cool places in Germany. Because they have really big cities with that draw really great audiences to concerts. And um, yeah, well, everyone needs Germany if they want to succeed in this genre. However, that being said, and uh, having been fortunate enough to see and play concerts in a lot of places, I still have to say the best place in the world for a concert, and mm -hmm. uh, anyone that disagrees, please let me know, Argentina. There's no better place to see or, or to play a concert than in Argentina. Uh -huh. Their fans are crazy. They even sing the solos. That's how insanely devoted they are. They are so loud, you you can't even hear them. Like the band doesn't hear yeah. themselves on stage because they're louder than PAs. You see ACDC playing at River Plate. The, ba the band is just there fronting because the yeah. whole 60,000 people are out singing everything the band is playing. You always need bigger speakers. Uh, and they do this to every band. I was fortunate enough to play concerts in Argentina, at least one. I played one concert in Argentina. And I got to say, till this day, it was oh, wow. just the audience, man. They, f they fucking live rock and roll like no one else. You can go to a club, packed club in Argentina. Girls everywhere. Like all these posh girls that you usually see here at these, you know, disco clubs that just play really shitty music. There, they are there singing ACDC. Yeah, exactly. Whatever. <laughs> just play looks, the name of any club. And the hottest <laughs> girls there go to the rock clubs. That's how cool Argentina is. So Argentina wow. definitely sticks out. But I also got to <laughs> say, I saw Motley Crue live. I saw them in Belgium, and everyone was also dressed like yeah. Yeti. So I think Motley brings mm -hmm. that to every concert they have. The fans are crazy, and uh, they they live by it. So I love them for that. Yeah. Awesome. I mean, uh, I haven't had the pleasure to to go to Argentina uh, for either tourism or to see a gig, but. Uh, yeah, it's up there with uh, watching uh, Galatasaray match in uh, Turkey. So, like, the two, two sure. things I need to do in my lifetime. I know we're running a, a bit uh, over time, but I, there are two additional questions I would like to ask you. And the first one is, I mean, as uh, both fans of AOR, hard rock, uh, and metal overall, I mean, there are still great bands. Um, not Well, they adapted the sound, but they're releasing great stuff nowadays. And I mean, beyond just asking if uh, is is there still room for this genre, I would like to ask you what are okay, you currently so listening to? Okay, so my current <laughs> obsession for the last few year, uh, years now has been any any band from Finland. Finland 
is the rock wow. and roll capital of the world to me. Like those guys produce the best musicians, best music. And it all started actually with Venice Beach because I was listening to his show. Even though we're friends, I listen to his show a lot because it's like one of the few mm -hmm. shows where you can get new music and actually get a context because he knows about it, about rock and roll history and he travels a lot. So um, he was explaining this band from Finland. Well, of course, I've knew, I knew a lot of bands from Finland, but this definitely changed my perspective. They're called Santa Cruz. Mm -hmm. Santa Cruz is by far the best rock and roll band of the last 20 years. Problem is, like any good band, they broke up. Um, the singer still continues, just like Axel would, but even though I love Chinese democracy, uh, totally do, this guy doesn't have the chops Axel does. He's a really good guitar player, somewhat of a limited singer, has a lot of potential, but, you know, drugs, alcohol, and ego are usually your biggest downfall. Mm -hmm. Nevertheless, the whole band is not just one guy. So their guitar player, Jonas Parkonen, or Johnny Cruz at the time, um, Midi, who's their bass player, and uh, Taz, who's their drummer, hugely influential on me. So they all, uh, like, Jonas is producing everyone there. So you get other bands from Finland that I really love, like Reckless Love. They were also produced by Jonas recently. Great glam band. You know them? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So yeah, I, I yeah, met him yeah. here when I was playing with Tad Poli. We yes. hung out at a yes, party, yes. got drunk with them. They're super nice dudes. Uh, Ollie's just an amazing dude, and their drummer got me drunk, so I'm still recovering from that. But they're really cool dudes. Lost Society is like an amazing band. Hard, thrash. It's just great. Jonas is actually producing them, and Taz, their, the Santa Cruz drummer, is now their drummer. So, you know, Santa Cruz lives on in these projects. Mitty, who's their bass player, down-earth, cool dude, was now playing in the new incarnation of Children of Bottom, I love Children of Bottom since I was a kid. They now had Bottom After Midnight. Unfortunately, uh, Alexi passed away this year. Very tragic. So even though he's already recorded three songs with, guess who? Jonas. Again, Jonas is recording everyone. So he recorded three songs with them as a producer. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, he passed away. So we'll see a video or two, a video at least coming out um, after his death. But uh, yeah, which leaves Midi without a band now. But it, it's it's unfortunate. But um, but yeah, but Finland. I just got to say, best bands. Sixty Nine Eyes. Um, there's a another band there that uh, that I really love. Again, guess who produced them? It was also uh, Johnny. So Johnny's producing yeah. every band from Helsinki. In case uh, you haven't gotten that, um, Shiraz Lane. That's the name <laughs> of the band. Shiraz Lane is really cool as well. So all what do these bands have in common, and why am I so drawn to it? First of all, they love heavy metal. They love the dark stuff as well, like black metal and, uh, well, I would say some death metal. But they definitely love the extreme sounds because in Finland, you're you're the opposite of Portugal. You know, we're in the other extreme of Europe. You have the cold weather, but we're also very further away, distance. So, yeah, um, I think we share a lot of similarities in cultures, even though you wouldn't think so. But, yes, we're... Opposites do attract, mm -hmm. and I do think there's similarities because of that. And they actually have the best rock scene. I used to think for a long time it would be Sweden, and not wrong. Great bands from Sweden, Helicopters, mm -hmm. Backyard Babies, you know, all of that. Uh, but Finland is where it's at. Helsinki is the capital of rock and roll in the world for me, and I stand by it. Yeah, and I've also been listening a lot to The Dead Daisies, because they have Fair this enough. amazing new last record with Glenn Hughes singing, which I cannot stop listening to. That guy's as old as my mom. He sings like Axl Rose when he was 20. It's crazy. Crazy. <laughs>
Wow. I mean, it, it, I, I was just taking notes because other than Reckless Love, some of them uh, just, I, I wasn't really aware of them. I, I just, on, on two, two, three notes, actually. On the Finland side, I, I'm more, no, well, I know Hanoi Rocks. <sighs> of course. And I, I do enjoy them, but they tend to be like, they're, they're more commercial and... Uh, and definitely more known. I'm more. Uh, I, I like uh, thanks to a, a friend I have, um, Finnish pop. Uh, so, but old school as well. So he he every time there is like a song or something, he, there is a Finnish cover uh, of that song, uh, and it's impressive. And he keeps sending me like I have my inbox filled with. It's uh, awesome. You gotta sh- you gotta share that with me. I love so Finland. I you gotta share that with me. I will. I will. For sure. I was just thinking, you were talking about discovering bands and actually Venice Beach at 105.4. And I was thinking, uh, there was a band that I, I, I discovered whilst listening to the program. And it's an Italian uh, AOR melodic um, uh, rock band called oh. Room Experience. You, I believe you, it was there. You just got me. I don't know that band. <laughs> I don't know them. I don't think... No, I, I, no, no, I, I, they, they are. I, I know that most of the the band members are Italian, and I know that I I I heard about it like at one hundred five point four. Now I'm not sure if the, it was that program, but they do. Um, I don't know if they they're still performing, but it was a couple of years ago. But I've I've I, I kept listening to their albums coming uh, coming back to them. So th- that one is w- one for you, at least uh, one yeah. recommendation. For I'm you pretty to, sure. To because they are I, really, without really knowing good. the band, if they're really good and they're from Italy yeah. and they're play AOR, I'm pretty sure they're from Frontiers Records because Frontiers has been releasing everything that is AOR and hard rock. And I've actually met a couple of their musicians uh, okay. here in Portugal. Um, so, yeah, because they were playing a few gigs with mm-hmm. some artists that I knew. So, yeah, uh, pretty sure they're probably from Frontiers, but I will check it out. And thank you for the recommendation because, yeah, the more rock, the better. Nah, no, 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 no worries. And the the other thing is because Alice Cooper is releasing his uh, what twenty eighth album next uh, next month. I'm actually reviewing the catalog and some some of the ones that I missed, uh, and I'm uh, quite enjoying rediscovering the person that I call the Switzerland of rock and roll. I mean, the man was everywhere, right? Uh, Steve Tyler loved him, Guns and Roses, Motley Crue. Uh, he he was friends with everyone. I don't think he ever had. I don't think he ever had an, an issue with anyone. Uh, the guys like rock and hard rock and metal. It, it, it's a genre or genres that are known for feuds. And the man, I don't know. Maybe I should research a bit more. But he's friends with everyone. He's it seems. the coolness <laughs> in person. Billion Dollar Baby stands out as my favorite. But I love the '80s from Alice Cooper's '80s collection. Yeah. It was amazing. Well. I just don't have an yeah. era I don't like. Even to this day, his live stage is amazing. Yeah. The musicians he plays with, I love him to death. From Nita Strauss to, um, yeah, I, I love that. Oh, yeah, yeah. She's great. But not only just yeah. that, like Ryan Roxy is like one of my favorite guitar players. And he's also in the band. So it's like, don't get me started about Alice. Alice is amazing. And he holds <laughs> up to this day. Great. It, it, great, okay. great, great, great stuff. It, he does, he does, he does, and I, I'm really looking forward to his next album. And as a closing question, I mean, I'm not sure if you're able to share some stuff on upcoming collaborations, stuff that you're working on, 
mm-hmm. not not what you're listening to. What uh, any new projects? Is there any anything for the listeners that they should yeah. keep an eye out or uh, an ear out? Uh, yeah, to, to get to know your new collaboration. <laughs> well, I've been working really hard for the last year, <laughs> where everyone was kind of hiding out because of the corona. Um, well, I also did that, right? But uh, I've yeah. been writing a lot of songs with some close friends. And we hope to put out something later this year. And uh, it could be the most important thing I've done to this day. But again, you always want that sentence to be what you say to promote music. You always want the thing you're doing now to be the most important thing you've ever done. So that's still the same thing. There's not a lot I want to unveil at this point. Mm -hmm. All I want to say is that I've been doing music nonstop for the last year. And uh, 2021 seems like it's going that direction as well. Really proud of the stuff uh, we've been putting together. Uh, I've been rehearsing and playing more than ever. And um, whatever I can say is going to be heavy, melodic, and epic. That's what I hope it will be. And hopefully I'll be able to play a lot more concerts once this pandemic is over, see a lot more people. Play Helsinki, please, because Jesus, like... I, I, I could go on, like the <laughs> number of bands that have influenced me, even for this project, of like Amorphous, um, Insomnium, uh, even him, you know, a lot of bands from uh, from Helsinki that I just feel yeah. like this project should play there, but and actually should play everywhere. So as soon as the pandemic's over and we got things rolling, it'll be cool. Hopefully, because now everything stopped that actually gives us uh, and gave us uh, altogether a lot of possibilities to write new music, to be at home even recording them, because we all have those tools to do it now. So it's really good to do that in the comfort of your home and just sharing music with your friends when you're not able to go to the studio. But every time we can, we just go to the studio, we crank up those Marshalls and Meza Boogies, and we just make it loud. Yeah, exactly. Off you go. Off you go. I mean, I mean, b- b- based on that, I was just listening to Paul McCartney's latest album, uh, mm-hmm. Paul McCartney Three, which he recorded during lockdown, playing every single instrument by himself, and also uh, Sammy Hagar and the Circle, the whole uh, cover album that they I did. Saw, I heard lockdown that. Lockdown twenty twenty, which is quite, quite, quite good as well. Quite good as well. Josh, I mean, that's uh, pretty much it. Uh, thank you for being here. To all the listeners, hope you get to follow Josh.Riot on um, on Instagram to keep up with all of his new projects. Thank and, you so much uh, for having me. <laughs> no, no, I was just going to say thank you so much for having me and uh, everyone for listening in. See you.